Good morning. Um, I hope you've been blessed by those songs so far. Um, <clears throat> our message this morning is is titled God's Unstoppable Purposes. And uh, just, I was thinking through the first two songs, Glorious Day um, and uh, Grace Greater Than All of Our Sins, that um, um, we're actually going to look at a, really a dark part in patriarchal history this morning. Uh, and yet, um, we'll get to the light at the end of the tunnel towards the end of the message. Um, but those songs just go to prove that um, God's purposes are unstoppable. So um, the story this morning, the whole story revolves around a blessing and who would obtain it. Um, if it were a movie, <clears throat> you'd probably, it would probably look like a dramatic thriller, you know, with all the deceiving going on and scheming going on and uh, things of that nature. Um, the full story really begins uh, at the end of chapter 26 and uh, continues on through about uh, verse 9 of chapter 28. So this is going to be a two-part a two-part mini-series here. Um, let me get... Okay. <laughs> so um, there really are no heroes uh, in the story this morning and no heroic acts, as we'll, as we'll see. Uh, but the characters in the story... Um, we have Isaac, who um, we presume knew about this oracle of God to Rebekah that we uh, learned of in Genesis 25, that the elder son Esau would serve the younger son Jacob. Um, and yet Isaac here sets himself against God's plan and in disobedience to God's prophetic word, uh, he plans to bless his older son Esau anyways. And then we have Esau in agreeing to Isaac's plan he broke uh, his oath with Jacob, who he had sold his birthright to earlier, which we also saw uh, in chapter 25. And then, of course, we have Rebecca and Jacob uh, thinking that they had a just cause and taking matters into their own hands. They devised a deceptive scheme, uh, Rebecca being the masterful planner and uh, Jacob the key player in the scheme. Um, of course, theirs would be the victory in the end although really there were no winners at all. Um, all they, although they ended up getting only uh, what God declared Jacob would receive anyway, they ended up reaping the fruit of hatred and separation. Um, now, I'm not typically the guy who has the big idea, um, but this morning I'm going to follow in Eric's footsteps and give us one. Uh, so first, I want to refresh our memory from last week. Um, because it's important. The big idea from last week's message, which was Genesis 26, was this. Because God is faithful to fulfill his promises, he leads and directs our lives despite our imperfect faith. And once again this morning, unfortunately, today's big idea will be limited to negative models here in the scriptures, but I suppose the positive and all of this is that it just magnifies the grace and mercy of God all the more to mankind. So today's big idea is similar to last week, but stated in a different manner. The big idea from today's message is this. The scheming sins of human beings cannot derail the purposes of God. I'll say that one more time. The scheming sins of human beings cannot derail the purposes of God. No matter what, God will fulfill his promise regarding the offspring of Abraham 
in whom all the families of the earth will be blessed, of which I am one of those families. Praise the Lord for that. And Jacob, with all of his sins, will be the one through whom the blessings will pass on, just as God predicted at his birth. Now, if that troubles you in any way, let's collectively just step back for just a moment. If God's redemption plan were dependent on the righteousness of anyone but Jesus Christ, it never would have been accomplished. We are all sinners, and we all fall short of God's glory. Even those of us who have been converted, and the pattern of our lives is transforming, and I trust, um, trending uh, toward Christ's likeness, we nonetheless fall to sin, do hurtful things to others and to ourselves, among other foolish choices and things we do. And that's why our hope and faith must be found in nothing less than Jesus's blood and his righteousness, or we have no hope at all. And so while we see disappointing choices in this passage that will literally lead to decades of heartache in the lives of those involved, um, it can really paint a depressing picture. But what about if we lifted off the lids on our lives? What would we see? I think we'd see difficulties. We'd see sins. We'd see selfishness. We'd see mistreatment of others. Not, not much different than what we're going to see this morning. All the things where we, maybe even on our best day, not only find ourselves doing wrong, disappointing God, but also disappointing ourselves. I hope that I'm not the only one that resonates with, with this. But overarching all of this, are, again, are the unstoppable purposes of God. And that's the theme that we're going to see throughout this story this morning. But I want to tell you a different story. Um, when my sons were especially in their teenage years and early 20s, um, and I, of course I still have one, Troy, who's a teenager, I prayed often that uh, they would not make any choices that would be life-altering in a negative way, um, like just a huge negative choice that would set the course of their life, you know, for decades, like what happened here with, with Jacob. Um, and I remember one time when one of my sons was over 18 at the time uh, and still living at home, uh, he talked about going on a trip with some friends that was in a faraway state and uh, they were going to drive through the night. Um, and um, uh, after working all day, and um, I'm sure some of you have probably done something like that. Uh, I've done something like that. Uh, and uh, the one time that I vividly remember it, um, I was driving on the interstate uh, with a friend. And um, at one point, I don't know what time of the morning it was, probably between midnight and 6 a.m. And uh, all of a sudden, I opened my eyes and I vividly remember I had no idea how long my eyes were shut. It might have just been for a few seconds, but you never know. And all I, all I remember is just that I was terrified, had a terrified feeling and thought, this is crazy and I need to stop driving. <laughs> um, but long story short, um, God, uh, my thoughts got out of control about thinking that he would be doing this and went straight to assuming there's going to be a fatal crash. Um, but... Uh, finally, God brought me to a place of peace. I knew that it uh, wasn't my place to say, look, you can't go, uh, but it was his decision. Um, but God brought me to a place of peace of knowing that regardless of the decision, 
God was sovereign over the whole situation. My son's life and his death were both in God's hands. Um, and so I came to a piece about it. Um, and clearly nothing, uh, nothing negative happened in the end. So with respect to what was going on here in Genesis 27, trust me when I say God wasn't in heaven wringing his hands thinking, oh no, I've got this guy Esau and all he cares about is hunting. All he cares about are carnal things and he doesn't care one bit about spiritual matters. Oh no, I've got this blind father who favors Esau because he likes to eat wild game. Oh no, I've got this wife, Rebecca, with her scheming, undercutting what she knows her husband would want and deceiving him and teaching her son to do it as well. And then I've got Jacob who's going to deceive and blaspheme me as even helping in the scheme. No, God was not wringing his hands. So what do we have in common with these people is they are sinners like us. And yet we still see God working his purpose. We still see God working in the lives of these sinful people. We still see God furthering the redemption history that one day would bring Jesus the Savior to earth. And I don't know about you, but that gives me great, great hope. Because we're no different than Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau. Um, and we, we long for God to, to use us in his redemptive story, even knowing that we are um, sinful people. So if this morning you find that you're dealing with some disappointing things, maybe caused by you or others, and this could be something that the consequences are ongoing and may continue to be for quite some time, and you, you may be tempted to, to think, where's God in all of this? Um, how can any of this turn out right? Lean on, a, on the hope that God rescues sinners. Lean on the hope that we serve a God whose purpose uh, his purposes getting done are not dependent on whether sinners like us do right or not. Lean on the hope that God's purposes for our lives will prevail. Um, a couple weeks ago, I talked with a man whom God is using to help other uh, drug addicts get back on their feet. Um, his story is one that has extreme disappointments due to the bad choices he has made in his life. Um, his addictions caused him to lose his business, uh, caused him to lose his wife. He told me that his children adored him, but because of his addictions, um, he completely lost trust with them. So his, his, he lost his trust with his children and those relationships. And, um, and he ended up practically dying from exposure because of his addictions. Um, and besides that, he told me that he was an atheist, didn't even believe in God. But God actually broke through all of that and reached down and saved him. Um, and now he's trying to do what he believes the Lord is calling him to do and helping other addicts. He's trying to regain a relationship with his family, but he understands that based on what he did to them, he doesn't deserve uh, anything if that doesn't come about. But he's trusting in God's mercy and grace to bring about that restoration. The end of his story may be far from over, and who knows how God is going to write the ending. Um, but I love a verse that he shared with me that he kind of applied to his life of how God showed him because of his particular situation that uh, when Lazarus died, they were questioning Jesus, you know, why didn't you save him earlier? Um, but Jesus said, um, 
I did this for the glory of God. Um, uh, and you guys weren't aware of it. And, uh, and he just said that he was on death's door, almost frozen to death on the streets of Kansas City. Uh, but God saved him. And now he wants many others to know that God was the one who saved him to get glory through his life from here on out. Um, so I have five points I want to share as we look through the different characters in the story. And, um, and each one will, will have a different point associated with the character. So point number one, we're going to look at the life of Esau. And point number one is this, don't take the grace of God for granted. So we take a look at Esau's life. We know from the passage last week that Esau considered the spiritual heritage, the family heritage of little value, and traded it for a bowl of soup. The word used regarding Esau's birthright, birthright was that he despised it. And just to give you a, a better sense of the meaning of the word, um, it wasn't just that Esau treated it with little value, but it's a very strong meaning of the word, and it it, it goes beyond that to mean that he held it with contempt. Um, and we see this when he sells his birthright to Jacob, um, as if he didn't want to have anything to do with the family name. And then we see it again at the end of chapter 26, when we see that he marries two Canaanite women. Uh, so if you have your Bibles open, um, we'll read together uh, the end of chapter 26, verses 34 and 35. It says, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Barry, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So he, had, in short, Esau lived for the moment, showing no concern about the cost to himself or others. Um, that's the kind of man Esau was, and that's the kind of life he was living. But the cost was actually great. Um, and when, when you're, when you're uh, cutting short the grace of God, when you're taking for granted the grace of God, you're not seeing the cost of the decisions you're making. And that's what was happening to Esau here. But it would come back to bite him, and he would regret it. Um, as If you look, um, or just jot this down, Hebrews 12, 15, and 17 talks about Esau uh, in this way. And I'll read this passage to us. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So don't take the grace of God for granted. Point number two is this. Tensions are created when we attempt to set aside God's will for our own will. And of course, here we're going to talk about Isaac. So what about Isaac, right? We're told Isaac is old, and for all practical purposes, he is blind. He is for sure over 100 years old at this point in time. Some commentators say he's about 137, actually. And he seems to think that he is near death. But we come to find out later, of course, we have the hindsight to this, he's going to live quite a bit longer, at least 20 years, maybe closer even to 40 years. Um, and one thing we know about Isaac is that he and Rebecca injected favoritism into the family dynamics from very early on. In Genesis 25, verse 27, it says this, 
When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. And literally, those Hebrew words are because the game was in his mouth. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac's favoritism was based on his senses, not on his, his son's enduring character qualities. So Isaac is determined to bless Esau despite some factors that really should have held him back from doing so. He's determined to bless him despite God's prophetic word to the older uh, shall serve the younger. It's one thing to give Esau a blessing, but look at part of the blessing in verse 28 and 29. It shows his complete disregard and resistance to God's plan. Verse 28 and 29 reads, May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Isaac meant that for Esau, not Jacob. Isaac was also determined to bless Esau despite Esau's disregard for keeping the family separate from the Canaanites. And of all people, Isaac would have uh, known how important this was because of how Adam and his father Abraham saw to it that he not marry a Canaanite woman. So in the face of all these things I just mentioned, why does Isaac insist on blessing Esau this way? Well, it seems like favoritism has gotten the best of him. Just says that he loved Esau more than, more than Jacob. And why did he love Esau more than Jacob? Well, the scripture simply just says because he liked the food that Esau hunted and cooked for him. So at this point, Isaac appears to be pretty obsessive compulsive about food, and he seems to be driven by his appetites. Uh, so in my opinion, Isaac is blind more than just physically. His love for tasty food makes him blind to Esau's carnality and carnal living. Perhaps Isaac's reasoning and his wisdom have become skewed. Um, I don't know this to be the case with Isaac, but I think a potential application for us can be drawn from this um, example. I was thinking about this with Isaac. You know, he's an old man. He's, he's become rich. God has blessed him with many things. And um, sometimes I think as we get older, um, I think even in my own life as an example, um, and perhaps we're blessed with more things, the more potential there is of us getting lulled into a life of where we can be driven by our appetites. Um, in other words, life may seem to get more comfortable, and we need to be very alert to not become driven by our appetites, living for the best of this life while losing thought of eternal things. So God has given us many things to enjoy with a lot of variety for which um, we should be grateful. But when our material and physical appetites become too important, even for good things, we have to be really careful because the will of God is always should be more important than the physical pleasures that we can experience. And so I think that's one factor that could have taken place in Isaac's life. Um, one thing I think I can safely say as to how Isaac's wisdom has seems to have been diminished is that Isaac's um, has been wisdom has been undercut because of placing too much importance on satisfying his physical appetites, and also because of the favoritism, uh, which goes hand in glove with jealousy. 
And this can so easily happen to us as well, maybe without us even knowing it. And I want to share this verse from James 3, 13 through 17, that really explains this well. And this verse is is such a, a key verse to understand. If things are not going well in our lives, please come back to James 3 and look at these verses. And it just explains what is going on, perhaps, in, in your life. Okay, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, we certainly see that in this passage, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. This is very indicative of this whole chapter 27. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. That's not what's going on here. Gentle, open to reason, not happening. Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, again, not happening, and sincere. I think that verse basically nails what's going on here. I think these are a pretty good summary of the Isaac family at this point in time. So let's move on to Rebecca in point number three. Point number three is this. We sometimes attempt to ensure God's plan for blessing by deceptive or manipulative measures, which God does not condone. So you have um, Isaac and Rebecca's marriage began beautifully, like almost a fairy tale. In fact, um, there are probably other marriages. I can't think of them off the top of my head in the Bible, but this one would be one that you would you could say literally was a marriage made in heaven. Uh, God was the one who brought these two together. Uh, but by this point, it looks like their marriage is practically on the rocks. Um, and there may have been other things going on, but it is clear from Scripture that one of the poisons that has made this marriage go south is favoritism. Isaac loves Esau and Rebekah loves Jacob, and love for their children makes them at odds with one another. Um, But I think what's interesting to notice is, you'll remember the story from last week when they were in Gerar, and Abimelech was watching them flirt with one another, how in love they seem to be with one another. And that story comes after the boys were a bit older, and it was already stated about the favoritism. But I imagine that favoritism was like a cancer with the jealousy that it must have caused between the boys and then the impact it must have had on the parents. Over a long period of time, cancer gets worse. And that's what happened with Isaac and Rebecca, and it has killed the closeness of this marriage. So when you wonder, after Rebecca heard about Isaac's plan to bless Esau, wouldn't a better approach have been for her to confront Isaac? You know, it's called communication in marriage, right? That's what, you know, why didn't you just communicate to them? But from what it appears, they were not in a healthy place to even have communication of this sort. It's like their marriage had degraded to the point of just deception, lies, and manipulation. So at this point, she is willing to trick her blind husband in order to give advantage to her favorite son. 
and she instructs her son in how to deceive his own father and then works hard to make sure it's going to work. So at first glance, you might think Jacob's um, pause to be a pawn in the plan demonstrated some sense of decency, but looking more closely at verses 11 through 13, uh, we see that Jacob's hesitancy was not really on moral grounds, but really more on fear of being detected and being cursed. Let's read verses 11 through 13. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. I think what's interesting is here is, I mean, we don't even know if like Rebecca could have taken the curse upon herself, you know, but she says she gets Jacob to go through with it anyway. Uh, but what would have happened, right, if Rebecca had not heard or if she had done nothing? We can only speculate, of course, it's not in the scripture, but since the prophetic word of God um, had reserved the Abrahamic blessing for Jacob, you can bet that God would have seen to it to ensure that Jacob received the blessing. Her deceptive and dishonorable methods were totally unnecessary, and God could get it done without her help. Um, we see God moving in miraculous ways. One story is later on when um, I believe it's Balak wants uh, Balaam. I might have the names backwards, but wants one to curse the the people, and and they just couldn't do it. I mean, uh, God God put an angel in the way of the donkey and. Um, I mean, God will accomplish his will, and, and, and we don't need to um, do deceptive practices to, to get them done. But how often do we try to get the right thing done using strategies that are anything but right? Um, when we behave that way, we are forgetting that God's purposes will prevail with or without us. Um, we don't need to help him to get it done. But I will say it's a privilege and a blessing when he allows us to be his instruments in accomplishing his will. And he is glorified by that. I'm not saying that he doesn't want us to be a part of his plan. But the point that I'm trying to make is we don't need to cut corners and we absolutely do not need to sin to bring about God's will. Um I'm sure some of you have been in this situation before where you've spoken with another brother or sister in Christ who's telling you that God is wanting them to do something or get something accomplished, and yet you could show them clearly in God's word that that is contrary to what God would be saying at all. And yet you show them, and they're not convinced. Um, most often I find that this is people who are desperately wanting to see a desired outcome of something and they have fallen into the trap of thinking that they just need to help God along. I imagine this is how a conversation with Rebecca may have gone about um, in this day. Friends, we can we really we really need to believe that God is the king. Um, and if we really believe that God's purposes cannot be derailed, then he doesn't need our tricks, our schemes, or our spin. So let's move on to the next point as we turn to Jacob. Point number four is this. God's people may appear to achieve success 
through their manipulative measures. That's almost like a tongue twister, isn't it? (laughs) At first glance, you may give Jacob the benefit of the doubt. After all, he's just being obedient to his mother, right? Well, I don't think so. Uh, Jacob's not a little boy here. Uh, He's upwards of 40 to 70 years old, probably closer to 70 years old, to be honest with you. I still get that he wants to honor his father, his mother, but he doesn't have to do what his mother's asking him to do here, especially when he knows it's wrong. Uh, Besides pretending to be Esau, Jacob lies to his father three times straight out. We have in verse 19 where he says, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. And then in verse 20, when Isaac asked how he found the game so quickly, he adds blasphemy to his lie. The Lord your God granted me success. Well, the Lord had nothing to do with it. Then verse 24, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Do we ever lie to get ahead? Um, Probably with us, right, with our polished um, uh, way of of saying things, we, we probably just don't call it a lie, right? But we just embellish the truth a little bit. Um, how many of us may have started this practice as children, even lying to our parents in order to manipulate the truth so that we could get what we wanted? So Jacob is not alone here, okay? But what does lying get you? It might indeed get you what you wanted in the short term, but it's a poison for relationships because relationships must be built on trust. Um, So Jacob got what he wanted by way of deception, but what did he gain? I would argue that he gained nothing because if he trusted God, God would have seen to it that he would have received the blessing despite Isaac's determination to bless Esau because again, God's purposes will not be derailed. But what did he lose? He lost a relationship with his mother. Most commentators believe he never saw her again because she died by the time he came back um, to the land of Israel. And he had to flee his home with nothing. I think one of the most sobering verses in all the Bible is Galatians 6, 7. And I'm just astounded at that this is a timeless truth. It's, it, really, it really is a timeless truth that is from the beginning of time because God's word is timeless. And Galatians 6, 7 says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. What do we see from Jacob's life? Jacob will learn the hard way what it is to be cheated. His uncle Laban will out-trick him by giving him Leah instead of Rachel, the one he loved as a wife. And then he changed his wages over and over again. And even when Jacob is old, his own sons will trick him about Joseph's whereabouts and claim that Joseph has been killed by a wild animal. And they also will use a goat to deceive their father, smearing the blood on the coat of many colors. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That is just a a grave verse. Um, but it's honestly, it's one of my favorites. I don't know why, but it's, it just, it's sobering. It's, it's sobering because it's true. 
you see it true. Just it's a universal truth that you see happen over and over again. And I guess maybe it's one of my favorites because it it demonstrates to me that God is is true. And he, again, it says God is not mocked. He's not a liar. So let's bring this to a close with the fifth and final point. Point number five. And hopefully this will brighten our day a little bit more. God is determined to bless the human race. So we have to end on good news. And good news, that is, God is determined to bless the human race. It is really amazing to think that God would bless anyone in the story. Am I right? But then I realized that I am the people in this story. God is so determined to bless the human race that he's worked out a plan that begins with his first promise right after the failure of man that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And it comes down through Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon and all the way down to Jesus and even beyond with promises that are yet to be fulfilled. And through all of this history, we're just going through some of them here in Genesis, but there are many more sordid stories throughout this history. But through it all, God remains determined to bless mankind. Because God is a God of redemption, and God's prevailing purposes are bigger than us. And I want to, um, if you tr- have your Bibles, turn to Acts 4, 23 through 28. And I want to read this to us all. Acts 4, <clears throat> 23 through 28. <clears throat> and this is this is after Peter and John were brought before the, uh, the religious council, and, and they were told, don't speak about Jesus anymore. And then they said, you know, we, we need to keep speaking in his name. And, um, uh, and they were, um, they threatened them and uh, they let them go. Uh, and then they went back and they reported this to the disciples. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. It's like they knew God was sovereign. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? I think it's interesting that they plotted in vain because God's purposes will not be derailed. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The cross itself speaks to us that God's purposes will prevail despite the scheming of human beings. And still today, God's purposes cannot be stopped, no matter how bad our situations may seem to be 
or how misguided our schemes or our sins. As human beings, we will continue to scheme. As human beings, we will continue to sin. But God will continue to work on his people to transform them, to discipline them, to sanctify them. But his purposes will prevail nonetheless. And one day everybody will acknowledge it to the glory of Jesus Christ and to the glory of the Father. So what should our response be in light of these things? Does it not make sense that we should submit and yield to God whose purposes will prevail? Doesn't it make sense to bow the knee now instead of later? Doesn't it make sense to cast your lot, your trust with this God, because he wins? Let's close in prayer before we acknowledge God's sovereignty over us in the last song. Heavenly Father, um, I just thank you for your word and that you, that you, your word is not just a book full of, you know, daisies and roses, God. But your word is a book of reality and a book where <clears throat> we see people just like us. We see people whose actions are not much different than ours. But in the midst of these things, God, we see that you are God whose purposes will not be derailed. Um, and we see, God, that you are a God who's determined to bless us and, uh, and bless us you have, Lord. And we're thankful and grateful. We praise you for it, God. And Lord, um, It just it 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 we're, it makes me speechless, God, to to even think, God. Um, I think of the verse that says, "The love of Christ controls us," and if we really ponder your great love and how your love um, has even gotten to the point of saving a human being, it should control us, Lord. Um, so Father, I just um, thank you for this morning, God. I pray that we would rejoice in this last song that you are sovereign over us, God, and that your purposes are unstoppable um, in spite of us. In Jesus' name, amen.